Hey there, Scott here from Social Energy Presents, and thanks once again for joining us. Our guest today is Dee Lippingwell, one of rock and roll's top photographers. Dee has photographed some of the best artists in the world, including Aerosmith, David Bowie, Elton John, Tom Petty, and many, many others over her 50-year career. Dee has even photographed the Rolling Stones seven times, and her photo catalog is a who's who of rock royalty. D won Canada's Famous Woman Award as the first woman in her field to earn this distinction, and at 75, she's not slowing down. And today, Dee joins us from her home in Surrey, British Columbia, for an exciting and intimate look back at her career. So sit back, relax, and get ready, as Social Energy Now presents you with your Backstage Pass. The first thing I want to draw attention to is that shirt you're wearing. Tell us about that. Oh, these are my uh, Rock Buckets shirts, um, business cards, right? Um, I have uh, a whole line, Tina, Freddie, Bowie, Robert Plant, uh, uh, Mick. Um, so <laughs> Mick, Mick Jagger, not me. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I want the one that has me on it. Not, you know, just... just no problem, cause. I have lots of pictures of you. And I bet you do. Uh-huh. I, was just, I was just saying to the guys, you know, and I was thinking this morning, I'm going, when did I first meet the... I remember where I first met you. It was at Lou Blair's Refinery. I think you were shooting us for Music Express magazine. Uh, I think I was. And what was band were you in then? I was at Shama. Oh, okay, yeah. Was Shama. Was, oh, yes. And then, of course, we became closer when I was in trauma because, of, you know, you were close with Tommy and Diane, his girlfriend at the time. Exactly. And uh, all that stuff. So we became really good friends in, probably from 80, you know, from 1980 on. 81, pardon me. But, yeah, I met you. Before in- that, I think. Before that. Yeah, I, I met you. It was 70- before that. It was I think 70. it was in the 70s. <laughs> no, it was 78. It was. It was 78. I remember that because I moved to B.C. in November of 78, and that would have been when Blue Blair was managing Shama for a real brief period before Bruce Allen picked us up. And uh, so he had us in the refinery. We were doing some sort of, some sort of thing for music week or something. Cause we were just there for the one night. I remember that. Okay. Well, that's too far back for me. To yeah. I remember you were the first photographer I'd ever had. First of all, you were the first real rock professional photographer that I'd ever had and how when I I would, you know, because you try not to look at the camera as much as you can, but you, they are there. And I remember when I did look at you and you would you would look up at me and smile and give me like a thumbs up. It really made me feel good about what I was doing. And so and then, you know, if I look at you, you'd give me like, that was great. You know what I mean? And it was like I was going, wow, it really felt good. You, you had a way of really putting me at ease in front of a camera. Well, maybe that's why so many uh, artists react to me down in the photo pit. I don't know why. Maybe. Well, I guess yeah. I'm enjoying. If I enjoy it, I'm giving you the thumbs up, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, hey, well, it, Music Express, they, they were the people who got me my start, actually. Well, the Georgia Strait, and then from the Georgia Strait, then Music Express, so. Well, let's, let's start at the beginning. Where were you born? Vancouver. You were born in Vancouver. I was born in Vancouver. One of the few, I think. <laughs> Uh, and when and when did you when did you take up photography? Was it something you started when I was five? When you were five, seriously? <laughs> yeah, seriously. When I was five, my grandfather taught me on his uh, on his box camera, wow. and um, one of the pictures that I had taken it had something to do with a, a, a cat and her kittens giving birth, or the kittens there, or her licking them, or whatever. And apparently, I took this picture. I don't remember, 
And my grandfather put it in a contest that was in the local paper. And I won like uh, a, a box around me. Oh, so nice. I won a camera when I was five, right? But um, I, it seemed like I always had instamatics or something in my hand, right? If I was at a wedding or something, um, uh, everybody would give me their camera. So I'd have five or six cameras hanging off my arms, right? Yeah. Uh, because my pictures were the only pictures that, that turned out. I mean, my mother was famous for cutting off heads. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at that with Zoom. <laughs> uh, but you know, when I, it's sort of like it was always in my, it was always in my life. But like photography, but it didn't really take hold until um, I was in my late twenties, and I'd gone through the gamut of being this and being that, and trying this and working here and working there and. Um, uh, it, nothing settled within me uh, unless it was photography. And at the time when I first started, I was taking pictures of trees and flowers and I love trees. It's, um, and, but that wasn't, that wasn't sort of good enough for me. Right. And I was always interested in music. And every time I go to a concert, I would think, yeah, I should have brought my camera. And uh, then I had the opportunity, my brother won tickets to a Pink Floyd concert and uh, my mom wouldn't let him go by himself. So I went with him and we were up in the nosebleed section and I had borrowed a 500 millimeter lens from my, from my neighbor up the hill and put it on my Canon camera. And um I couldn't even hold it. It was so <laughs> heavy. It was like, you know, a gun or whatever. So I put my regular uh, lens back on my camera and I went down and I, I managed to get on the floor and I took some pictures and a uh, Pink Floyd and, uh, and then went back up to my seat and enjoyed the show. And, um, I really enjoyed Pink Floyd. Uh, um, went uh, had my film developed. It was color film. And I had it developed at uh, Chandra's Drug Mart. And when I got my envelope back, uh, there was gold stars on it. And I said, well, what, you know, what are these gold stars for? I said, wow, you must have got some really good pictures. So, and I looked at them and they were like, well, well okay, yeah. No, I mean, I, I had them all, right? Uh, some were a little blurry, but and but I was like wow, and I showed all my friends. And I went wow, and I was I went to, I was going to a record store one day, and I saw this big poster in the window, and it said Pink Floyd uh, 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 concert photos on display. So I I went in because I thought wow, this is, and I looked, and it was like they were in black and white, and they were black with white dots, white. You, you couldn't tell who was who. You, it was, you know. So I said to the me being, you know, shy and unbecoming, right? I said to the store manager, if you're going to do a, a display, why don't you do a display where you can actually see who's performing? And he said, well, I suppose you have better ones. And I said, I suppose I do. So I raced <laughs> home, I got my pictures, and, I, and they, were, they were in five by seven. Because the Shabbos Drug Mart was having a 
special arm. Uh, instead of four by six, you could order five by sevens for the same price. So I rushed home, I got my pictures, I rushed back, I showed them and he went, wow, these are like, whoa. And he said, wow. He's, and then he started to rip off this poor fellow's photographs. <laughs> he goes, what's your name? I'll get, you know, I'll get my girlfriend. And I said, do you look around? He goes, is that like a made up name? And I said, no. And he goes, wow, people remember your name, I imagine so. And that was my first show. So then I started taking my, my camera to concerts and just, uh, I had, you know, a day job and I lived in sort of a hippie household and <laughs> I got, I started uh, developing my own film and printing my own pictures and just, it was, I discovered that I had developer in my veins instead of blood. <laughs> you know, I love being in the dark, you know, of course now with digital, it's all in so, the light. So that Pink Floyd show, that happened when you were in your 20s or when you were a teen? No, no, no. I was in my late 20s. Late 20s. I was so in my that, late... So that, that is specifically the moment. That was your ta-da moment. That was when you went, wow, this is something I could probably do. No, I didn't think that for a while because I had to practice, right? And it was like I, I knew that I had, I had a lot of, I had a lot of, of people who supported me. One fellow at the paint store, <laughs> um, I showed him my pictures and he go, you have an eye for this. And my grandfather told me I had an eye and somebody else told me I had an eye. You know, you have to have an eye. You have to. And I said, well, I just shoot and take what I feel. And uh, they said, go for it, go for it. So a lot of practice didn't happen overnight. I spent a lot of money on, um, you know, teaching myself, uh, actually the Time Life series of books. Um, that was my uh, teacher, <clears throat> excuse me. So what were, you doing for, <laughs> what were you doing for a day job to support your, your uh, photo habit back then? Um, I was a unit clerk at St. Paul's Hospital, one of the first of four in Canada. Um, I ran a daycare center, one of the first daycare centers government affiliated. Uh, uh, I worked for uh, private doctors. Um, and then after that, it was when I got my job at the Georgia Strait, Whoa, I got paid $5 for every picture that they printed, <laughs> which didn't help me. I taught myself how to do other things like weddings and bar mitzvahs and kids and dogs. And Who was your direct box, uh, boss at the Jordan Strait back then? Dan McLeod. Dan McLeod, okay, cool. Yeah. Now, do you, when you, I'm thinking about you learning how to shoot, because shooting live, a live band, is a whole different racket than shooting almost anything else, including sports. Uh, well, sports are pretty difficult. It's difficult, but it's a different banana too. The thing, but the thing is, with, I think with with rock photography, you almost have to anticipate the moment that's coming. You almost have to, and I think you can only learn that through repetition, where you sort of know what the. It's almost like you get your own rhythm as a photographer. Is that a, is that would that be about correct? It's like a dance and. 
before you do anything spectacular on stage, like leaping into the air, like Pete Townsend, you know, did. I got him with his knees up, leaping into the air. He did it once. And, and I thought to myself, oh, my God, if I could get, if he could, he's going to do it again. Right. And I sort of put my brain backwards and tried to remember what he did exactly before he did that jump. And, um, and, and there it was happening and I, and just, and it was there and it was click. And I got him like this high off the, off the, uh, the, the, the stage, you know, and Roger Daltrey is in the background and he's like, ah, it was just like, ah, it's moments like that, right? That just, <clears throat> and that was earlier on in my career. That was in the, you know. Well, your famous book that uh, has has gone on. It's in its second printing now. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shameless, shameless. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that, no, that's that's great though because I would love for you. And that's and that and that just posted that she has a copy, so I was gonna say oh, oh she did? Oh oh good. Yeah. But tell people what that title means. First three songs, no flash. Because most people don't understand what the title is, but it's but it's pretty much a, an industry standard. Yeah, and nobody knows who started it. Uh, they think it was some they think it was somebody in England, but nobody knows for sure. But and um, the all the excuse that was ever given to us over the years. Okay, at the beginning we could shoot as much as we wanted, right? And then all of a sudden, in the late seventies, it was like first three songs, no flash, and we said, "Why no flash?" Because sometimes the lighting was pretty was pretty poor, right? You know, it wasn't like it is now, right? With the the wattage, etc. Um, and um, they said, well, if you use, if you flash the performer, he might, it might hurt his eyes and he might fall off the stage. <laughs> it so, has been known to happen. Yeah. But, but so, it's usually not the flash that does it, I don't think. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. But we all thought that that was, you know, all the photographers thought that that was pretty funny. So was that, a, was that an edict by the band's management that, that yes. came out and it became an industry sort of thing? Yeah, it just sort of, it's one guy did it and then everybody else did it. First three songs, no flash. And um, so now photographers are allowed in, in what's called the pit. That's right up front. That's, um, yeah. There's always the fence that holds the crowd back. There's always that area of about maybe, it could be anywhere from five to 10 feet, maybe that yeah. deep where the photographers are allowed to get up close and personal with the, with the, the stars of the show. And you're only allowed to be in there for, like you say, First three, three, three songs. First three songs. And how does one get to a level where they're allowed to be in that pit? Oh, well, you have to be affiliated with a newspaper, magazine. Um, uh, yeah, you have to you have to be affiliated with somebody who's going to actually print that picture. So when you first started at, at uh, Georgia Strait, that was your press pass to get into these shows up front, correct? Yeah. Okay, and then and then from the Georgia Strait, I guess you had enough success that Keith Sharp, who is the uh, managing editor of uh, Music Express magazine, and still is, yeah. I think it's still kind of going online. It's online, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and he must have approached you, thinking, "Well, this girl's got a talent here." He approached me. He came out to Vancouver 
Um, he asked me to show him his, uh, show my portfolio, right? Which, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, um, okay, no problem. I came out here. Keith is a weird guy. Um, um, you know, I, I was sort of hesitant um, to... Uh, to be affiliated with the with the newspaper that was in Calgary, you know, but I thought, well, there was not going to be any, um, uh, the Georgia Strait wouldn't care and they didn't care. And it was actually Connie Coons, um, our key partner, who talked me into it and got me out to Calgary. And probably that's when I shot you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, now, because if I met you in 78, when did you start with Business Express? Would that have been around 76, 77 in there? No. God, uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it wasn't that. It wasn't. I know Music Express magazine. I think it started around. I, I don't know when it started, but I remember it was quite popular in '76. And I remember we used to look at it because it was basically Canada's Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, and yeah. and, and uh, the only generally the only time a band would get the cover is if they were like either a huge Canadian band or international stars. And the only time they would get an article done on them was if they had a, a record contract. Yeah. We, Shama got a full page article by Keith Sharp in Music Express magazine. And here's, here's the God's honest truth about that. Yes, Shama was a, a good band and it had a lot of good things going for it. However, the night that he came to see us, we had talked him into coming to see us and gave him a bar tab. At the same time, he had a huge crush on my wife, Joanne, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I really think that we got that full page out because of his crush on Joanne. I swear to God that that helps. I don't doubt it. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I'll have, I'll have to talk to, I'll have to do an interview with Keith and find out the truth. See if he remembers yeah. that. He may not even remember at this point, but. <laughs> what was your tie in with Trooper? Because you were friends with everybody in Trooper. Was it just because, did it start because of your photography and you became friends that way? Because yeah. Trooper was sort of your, they were like your home base band. Were, were they not? Oh, yeah. They're right? my, they're, yeah. Um, I got my first photo pass uh, to Trooper. Um, and I fell in love with everybody in the band. Not, not really, but. You know, yes. I mean, yeah, they, just, they, they were just, they are wonderful people. Every, every yeah. damn one of them. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess I was, I, I, I think I was working for the Georgia Strait at the time. Uh, but I know it was my first photo pass, my first fo actual photo pass where I was working for somebody and not sort of in the crowd and getting my pictures from not within the photo pit. Right. Mm -hmm. And then um, I did some shots of them backstage. And um, I guess it was Sam Feldman. Um, I'd, taken a I'd taken a ton of pictures. And I printed them all out. And I took them to Sam Feldman's office. That's what he was still, he was obviously still at Bruce Allen Town. Yeah, Bruce Allen and yeah, Bruce yeah, Allen, yeah. Sam Feldman. And um, if you talk to Sam, you'll he will I'm sure that he will tell you this. He had he had at least at least fifty eight by tens that I'd blown up in the dark room, you know, and so I brought them in and he's taking and he's looking at and he one picture after another and he's not saying anything, right? He's he's just looking, right? And, and he said, well, like, what do you want to do with these? And I said, well, 
I'll sell him my gas, right? And uh, he said, well, how much do you want? And I, I had no idea, right? And I was sort of in awe of being in the office, right? And I said, I, I don't know, uh, 50 bucks. <laughs> Ridiculous, right? He got up, he got he got up out of his chair. He walked out of the office. He told somebody, I think it was Ingrid, who was working in there at the time, oh, these are the best goddamn pictures I've ever seen a trooper. My God, and she only wants $50 for them. Quit, write her a check. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say each. <laughs> well, I should have, but after. And so then they, they started to hire me, and I, I remember um, uh, they were doing something – an award show or something um, at the Bayshore Inn. And um, I was there, they were arriving in the limo and, and I was there taking pictures. And this woman stepped out of the limo and just, just their dress swirled and I just snapped a picture of her. And um, that was uh, Tommy Stewart's girlfriend. Diane Tancha. Turned into my, my lifelong friend. Yeah. We had been friends from that moment. Right. Just from and just and and I was already friends with the band. So getting to know her and whatever and just um, um, they're great guys. I love them. That's that's Diane Tanchak. I have not seen her since I was in trauma. So I think the last time I saw her was probably 1984. Oh, God. Isn't that weird? Well, she still looks the same, except now she's blonde. (laughs) Oh, really? Well, she went sort of gray, so she decided to go blonde. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be doing that next. (laughs) so i was gonna say so okay so i want to i want to get on keep going i keep noticing the tina turner thing on your rock pocket shirt so what what do those sell for and where can people get them uh they sell for thirty dollars wow right um uh yeah i have um is that uh, that, that's the shirt in total yeah this is the shirt that it comes out it comes in a v-neck shirt right or you can get a crew neck shirt, and they're thirty bucks. And uh, you'll you'll cause people to go, "Who's that on here?" No, I have people looking at my breast all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I th- that would be thirty dollars Canadian. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Annette wanted us to uh, make sure that we. Uh, made that because this will be going out internationally. So oh, we'll, wow. we'll, we'll, we'll have links all down here so people can, can link to your link to your book, which is amazing. Everybody, everybody, I mean, I've looked through that book. I don't have a copy, sadly. I've got to get one, but uh, everybody, what? every time I, I, I haven't, I just haven't. Well, for one thing, I haven't seen it and I've never thought to order it online. My bad. Oh, well, but, but I do have friends that have, ha- that have it. And I so, will, I'll make sure that I send you one. <laughs> Who else wants a copy of the book? <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's, Hands up. That says you signed hers, so I guess the competition's on. You have to sign ours, too. I sign every one. <laughs> the whole thing about uh, I self-publish because people, publishers didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know if people would be, okay, this is the line that I got when um, when I tried to uh, sell this book to a publisher. Do you think people will really be interested? Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And people that had promised to publish said, well, we don't, we don't really know. Um, we don't really know how to market you. And I went, um, okay. 
Uh, and so I didn't do, I didn't do the book to be, to be rich or famous or whatever. I did the book because people asked me to do the book after my first book came out, which was just photographs. Um, people said, did you meet these people? Like, did, did you meet Rod Stewart? Yes. Did you, like, did you meet Eric Clapton? Did you meet Mick Jagger? Well, sort of, yeah. Well, what happened? And I was like, well, not, well, sort of some funny things happened. And uh, I, I started telling little stories. And people say, whoa, write, write it down. Put it in a book. So it took a long time a lot of years to get it together but you know it's just sort of a goal and then of course now I'm working on my third book uh, which has only taken I don't know <laughs> let me see 2009 to 2021 <laughs> it's about the <laughs> Music Festival and it closed in 2009 and I, I've I've been promising, so now I'm working on that too. So, so you're doing you're doing a book on the Merritt Mountain Music Festival, which was probably that was probably Canada's premier country music music it festival was. for a long time. Seventeen years, mm -hmm. seventeen years. Yeah, um, they had they had every every major. I mean, they had Keith Urban playing in the afternoon. Nobody even knew who Keith Urban was. Right. Right. Wow. You know, wow. Uh, early Dixie Chicks. I mean, they had. Johnny Cash, uh, uh, George Canyon, um, um, Pam Tillis, uh, Loretta Lynn. Uh, uh, oh God, the, the, the list, the list is is horrendous. Mm -hmm. I should know. I've spent the last six months going through thousands and thousands of pictures because for 17 years, myself and my husband were the staff photographers. So we shot everything. We shot the beer gardens. We shot. Well, I I shot you, Mick. Mm -hmm. On the beer garden stage, numerous times, mm -hmm. right? Everybody, so, talk, everybody thinks that the beer garden stage is like a beer garden, but the beer garden stage was actually a concert stage. Oh yeah, it, no, it was, totally. It was, the beer garden stage was almost as big as the main stage. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah and I mean, so. on the beer garden stage alone, there was um, not only you know yourself, Mick, but there was Sweeney Todd. There's Doug and the Slugs played several times. Nazareth was there. Chilliwack played several times. Jim Burns. I mean, so it, it, it's it's almost a historical book. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've I finished putting the pictures together on the pages for 1993 and went, oh, my gosh. Um, no, I'm going to have to edit this down. So I only have a certain amount of pages that I can work with, right? Are you privy to uh, tell me what led to the end of Merritt Mountain Music Festival? I know there was a lot of politics involved, but what were they? Are you, are you able Probably to say? Probably financial. It was, it, was, it was a financial situation, I believe. Um, uh, so it certainly did a lot for Merritt, uh, Merritt BC. Because oh, I mean, that, 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 you walk around that town, they've got a walk of fame of all these uh, incredible country stars that have appeared in Merritt. It's like, yeah. and it's, it's a little wee town in the middle of nowhere in BC. Yeah, beautiful yeah. place. Though. It's the it's the what is their official? Thing? They're the country capital of Canada. Yeah, right. And yeah, that's wonderful. I wish that I I think that they're putting out some sort of publication if they haven't already um, about the their walk of stars. Mm -hmm. um, walk of stars. I wish that okay. I could, yeah, the walk of stars, and then the, the all the um, um, 
um, Michelle, uh, I forget her last name, Doherty, uh, she's done all the murals around the city. Oh. So there's all these murals with the walks. I mean, and they're everywhere, right? So um, a whole book could be dedicated to that. You'd think that the city would somehow embrace it and keep that going somehow. Oh, well, they, I think they tried. Yeah. I think they tried. I, like I say, I think it was financial. I think mm. uh, 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 government, gambling, mm. greed, um, mm. <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. it's and to well, it it wasn't winding. Yeah, it was winding down a little bit in the seventeenth year. It was sort of getting a little bit uh, too rambunctious, too whatever. <laughs> well, I, I I know that it became quite a um, what would you call it for lack of a better term a piss fest where generally people just spent the entire time <laughs> drunk, like a, like like drunk out of their minds. Yeah. And to the point yeah. of where you couldn't even talk to some people. They were just literally comatose drunk. Yeah. And uh, there must have been there must have been something that had gone on with that. Maybe Perhaps it, it, it wasn't self-policed properly. They probably didn't want to bring heavy police protection in because that takes away from people's fun. Right. But what also takes away from people's fun is people that are having too much fun. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, like Campground C got such a reputation, you know, you know, get drunk, get, la- get laid kind of thing. Right. Uh, and, yeah, it was, getting, it was getting a little out of control. Um my my memories of Merritt, uh, I think I played there three times over the years. It might have been longer. I might have done more. But I remember the first time playing there saying, this is kind of cool. And I remember the next time, as soon as I was done, I got the hell out of there. Because I, I, like, I, I could see it ramping up. I could see how people were getting more and more drunk. I was like, I don't want to be around here when we're done. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that, that will take away from things, too. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, Woods, Woodstock was, you know, peace, love and a whole bunch of psychedelics and stuff. But that happened once. If you have something that's happening every year, it's almost like people are saving up their money on how much how many how much drugs and alcohol they're going to consume over the time period for merit. You know, it's almost like they plan. Yeah, and I, on this. Unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of people, a lot of people. Um, uh, thought along those lines and a lot of the families that were coming decided that they weren't going to come anymore because of the debauchery that was going on in Campground C. And, you know, the Campground C, I was just going to bring that up because I heard about that. Yeah. Um, all the other campgrounds, they seem to be a little bit, well, more policed or, or, or a, an older crowd, right? But the Campground C, you would go from other sites because there was, you know, this area and that area and then that area up there and then that area back there. Campground C was right there in the middle and you'd have all these people coming in from the various other other um, sites. And, you know, just um, they had a big, huge, massive um, uh, dance room uh, uh, tent, right? You know, so, and of course, and then they serve more beer inside, right? And there was a dish jockey and everybody's having a good time. I mean, you should have seen the destruction after, mm. afterwards, on the Monday morning after everybody had left, the burnt out campers and the, um, uh, you know, couches and whatever. And that went on, that went on, it got worse and worse and worse over the years. And in fact, I think it was the last year that um, 
Paul, my husband and I, we went around when the people were coming in, uh, when the people were, were coming in and going to Campground C, if we noticed that they had any big couches in the backs of their trucks or the trailer that they were carrying was really dilapidated, right? We would take pictures of the vehicle and then we would take pictures of the license plates. Right. And we would go around and we would say, you know, you guys, if you don't, if you don't take that couch with you when you leave, I have photos of your license plate, your truck, and and this old couch. And it better not be here because if it's here at the end of the festival, we're gonna find you. See, right? that's interesting because and really, and then, you know, sometimes it actually worked. Here you're there that to take pictures of the entertainment, you end up being part of the the security squad. Well, we took pictures of everything, like everything. Right. We took everything. It was well, that'll that'll be great for your book, no doubt. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I'm just I'm just thinking. You know, the the book is going to be the same the same size as um, the as first three songs, no flash. But instead of it being portrait, it's going to be landscape. So and it'll be a stay open thing. So, um, but it's going to be filled with so many pictures. And then um, I've reached out to key players throughout the 17 years that um, the publicists, uh, 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 Terry Gray was the stage manager for the whole time. Uh, I love Terry. Terry's a good man. Yeah. All, all those people. So I've reached out to them to get their um, sort of a synopsis on what they thought, what they did, maybe a funny story to insert with these, some of these pictures because you know, we have to have we have to have some text. Right? And I'm not I'm not a writer. I'm not going to say oh this. I'm not going to put any of my feelings down. My photos will speak for themselves. I'm showing people having fun, even in the rain, even mm-hmm. in Mudfest. Right? I'm showing. I'm not. I'm well. There's a couple of risque, uh, like when they had the topless girls being tattooed, naked, mm-hmm. and they were quite quite lovely uh, <laughs> uh, well, but well, then, I, don't, I didn't I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to um, focus focus on the bad things that happened there uh, right. I, Scott wanted to ask a question with the closing of merit is that where where Lake Town sort of took over where they tried an entire different process here because I know here on the island we have the Lake Town Ranch which now has kind of taken over is like, I think the lead country and rock uh, festivals for the, for BC. You know, I've never, I've never heard of it. How long has it been going on for? Several years. And what they have is they have a huge main stage, all steel. Uh, It's it's quite an impressive layout Um, campsites as well too, but it's, it's much more controlled. Uh-huh. I, I think they. I think what happened with Merritt, Scott, if you might, don't mind me interjecting this, I think Merritt yeah. kind of moved operations kind of by proxy to mission. Oh, and yeah. Was a, there, was a, there was a mission one that happened. Yeah. I believe that that was oh, okay. So right. I, I. So I don't think it made it. The island was probably its own. Its own. Its own. So yeah, I know. Rock, Rock and River Fest, it was called in mission. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we have the Sunfest is the one they hold here, and they have, again, Keith Urban's and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That no, quality, I've yeah. yeah. yeah I've, heard, I've heard of the Sunfest, yeah. Yeah, I went to Rock and River. Kenny Hess, who played at Merritt every year, 
Um, uh, yeah, he sort of he sort of took over the Rock and River with you know several of his partners, um, and uh, that flourished for a couple of years until then the Mission Racetrack Association or whatever, you know, I guess something happened with them and. Then it moved to Merritt, which I don't think uh, you can't you can't redo a good thing that happened. Yeah, yeah. And and that popped in here on some text, and she had said that regarding the Merritt Mountain Music Festival, that uh, low ticket sales, financial, too much festival competition, the U.S. dollar, and lack of bigger sponsor money is what happened. That I think that she, that that's her uh, take on it. So. Um, and she also said that there's a there's a new thing called Gone Country in Langley, which is quite large as well. Getting back to this, so your 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 book. When is this merit book going to be coming out? Hopefully, hopefully by November, so okay. I can get it out for Christmas. Okay. And being self published, I have a really good printer. It's digitally done. It's not. We're not printing. We're not. We're not going to initially print a thousand or two thousand or ten thousand books, right? Okay. We're gonna we're gonna do a, a slow run to see um, how they do, and um, I've already had lots of response from uh, different organizations, different interview people, saying, "Well, when it comes out, we're interested because it's a historical thing, right?" Mm-hmm. So, well, I just like you know, my, just like my book, people say. Well, when did you put that book out? And I go, oh, gosh, I don't know, five or six years ago now. And they go, oh. I said, well, it's timeless. Yes. You know, the, the book is timeless. Of course. And, and, um, and now I'm getting a whole new generation of people that are interested in the musicians that I have in my book, right? Right. <laughs> I know. So in, like, my, in my rock and roll book. That right. era never goes away. Annette MacArthur, our girl here that uh, is our, she's in charge of all of our marketing, et cetera. She, not only does she know festivals very well, she also knows book publishing quite well. That's some of her background. So it's kind of an interesting little uh, segue. Now, because, uh, with, with you uh, publishing the book on your own, so is your distributorship mainly online? Do you, is there online? Um, and yes, so we're gonna. It's hopefully <laughs> we're getting um, we're getting first three songs, no flash, put up on Amazon soon, and um, hopefully we'll be able to put the other one up there too. So, uh, but right now it will be to it will be going out to um, uh, BC Country Music Association. You know, I'll be doing advertising, letting people know, doing social media, uh, and, you know, doing everything uh, that I can to self-promote it. Well, there's um, going to be a lot of people that will want to look through that book to see if somehow there's a picture of them in there. Exactly. We were thinking, well, years ago, when, we, when John McLaughlin, who is going to be, who was there every year, uh, he was working for the, um, the province, mm-hmm. right? Um He's going to be writing some of the text, the intro, and and some of his his stories as well. Charles was bringing up a fact about you working with Bob Geldof at the Georgia Strait as well that we've never even touched on. Oh well, when I when I had my portfolio together after after spending a lot of time um, in clubs um, uh, uh, perfecting my craft as what whatever i had a i had a, a pretty nice portfolio together 
And so I went to the I went to the offices of, and I knew about the Georgia Strait. And I used to read the Georgia Strait all the time. So somebody said, you should go and apply to be a photographer for the Georgia Strait. So I said, okay. So I went to the Georgia Strait offices at the time were in Gastown and they were in through a, 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 a porn shop. <laughs> really? Right? And then you oh had to gosh. walk through this porn shop to go upstairs. The stairs were like this wide. <laughs> <laughs> and it was dark and it was like, uh, so I go in, I have an, I have a meeting with the editor who happens to be Bob Geldof, right? And he sits and he looks through and, you know, and I'm going, oh God, this guy, right? He's like, wow, he's a mess, you know, <laughs> but you know, and he's, but he's not from this country. So he has this wonderful accent. So it's like, oh yes. Bob says to me, well, I can see that you have some talent. But you're going to have to, you're going to, uh, you can't just work here and be a photographer who goes and do, does the concerts, right? And you have to be serious. You have to be able, you have to know other things, right? So he said, so go practice. Show me something else. Show me a picture of a dancer. Show me a picture of a, a poet or show me a picture of uh, an author. You know, show me, show me a picture of a boxer. So I went, oh, okay. So I did. I kept sort of going out and taking different pictures of different people in different situations. And um, this went on for a couple of months at least. And he would send me away, but you know, I like this one. I like this one too. This one's shit. I don't like this one at all. <laughs> right. So he was sort of not a mentor, but you know, I really, I really appreciated his, his critiquing. And um, so uh, I remember uh, the last time that I saw him, I, I was sitting in his office and he goes, well, I think you've come far. He said, I have a shoot next week. He said, um, but I don't know yet if um, I'm going to send you. But I think I think we, we, we can start using you. And I said, so I, do I get my, my name on the masthead? And he goes, not quite yet. Not quite yet, no. <laughs> so so um, on, I took the day off work. On Monday, I go in because, of course, you know, I have a, we, they have a deadline. I go in and I walk through the porn shop and walk up the stairs and um, I, I walk into the office and it was sort of like offices like this, 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 and all these people are sort of standing there and they, I walk in the office and they sort of look at me and they go, oh, right, you're here to see Bob, right? And I said, yeah, Bob's not here. <laughs> I said, well, no, uh, uh, Bob and his girlfriend had apparently overstayed their um, their uh, two week visitor pass to Canada, and the immigration were after them. So they got the first flight they could get back to uh, to uh, England, Ireland. Wow! So, but everybody knew everybody knew me by then. Sort of, they say, no, 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 no. Bob said, no, we're we're hire you and. And then, and then from there, he gets into the Boomtown Rats, and I don't like Monday. I know, and when they played, when they played at the Commodore, this is really funny. When they played at the Commodore, I was like, and of course, the Commodore really has no pit, and the dance floor is like that. Then you, it's the hardest place to shoot. It really is, and um, so I was sort of standing off to the stage a little bit, 
and Bobby singing, and all of a sudden, <coughs> he looks over at me, he stops singing, and he goes, did they hire you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like, it could have been at the end of the song, but yeah, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> so and I talked to him backstage afterward, you know. So a nice enough guy. Yeah, really, a nice guy. I had no idea. I had no idea that he was the editor of the Georgia Strait. Yeah. His music yeah. days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And uh, he, uh, you know, he's gone on to be Sir Bob Geldof. And obviously he's got, uh, he's got his own opinions and he's a pretty strong minded guy. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. Well, he's had so much trauma and whirlwind and everything around him, you know? Yeah. I mean, but. Yeah, even, guy. yeah. Even, even the controversy with the, uh, you know, the Africa fundraiser. This, the Live Aid. Yeah, Live this, Aid. Yeah, yeah. There's just been a lot of yeah. There's been a lot of controversy. I don't need to go into at this point, but yeah. it's, it's a, a lot of it good, but some of it bad because you're always going to hear some bad news about that stuff. Um, but uh, there was a, uh, there was a question that was posed for you, if you don't mind me asking. And one of them is, which artists or artists have reached out to you over the years to thank you? for your work and uh, have they ever artists ordered copies of pictures maybe use them in album artwork that you weren't expecting all that sort um, of stuff? um yes uh I, I probably could count on my hands the amount of artists that have actually called um <clears throat> uh i've had lots I've had lots of, of interaction with management, et cetera, et cetera, right? Which is as good as right, right? Yeah, they um, have their they have their people. They have yeah, they have their people. But we're not. Tina Turner is a special a special lady. She requested me twice um, uh, to uh, for her book tour and and for her uh, album release that she just did. Uh, media here in town, right? So that was cool. Um, uh, well, let me see. Tom Petty. Uh, the first time that I shot Tom Petty, I was I was working for the Georgia Strait, and he was staying at the Bay Shore, and uh, it was his first time, first or second time playing in Vancouver. I think it was his first time. I always arrive early, and there was supposed to be the sun, the province, the, uh, you know, the West Ender, um, all the lo little local rags were supposed to, were going to do a photo shoot with Tom Petty. And um, they had already, they'd already, they'd scheduled all the live interviews, the TV and the radio interviews. So the photographers were last. And so I get there, I'm about half hour early. And for some unknown reason, all the interviews have stopped, have, have finished. Right. So, so I'm sitting there and, and the guy comes up and he goes, well, photographers. And I go, yes, that's me. And he goes, well, where are the rest of the photographers? And I said, well, you know, we're not, they're not supposed to be here for another like 20 minutes. And he goes, well, we moved everything up. So they're not here. So it's you. So there you go. Get, get in there with Tom. Wow. <laughs> right. So I get into this room, right. And Tom says, well, where's the rest of them? And I go, well, the time got moved up, and he goes, so, wow. Okay, so he's sitting there, and he goes, well, what do you want me to do? 
And I went, well, I don't, I have no idea because usually I have the other photographers when I'm doing something like that. And they're all saying, Tom, look here, Tom, look there, you know, whatever. So it's like, you know, you sort of get different expressions that the artist is, is putting forth to different photographers. But when it's a one-on-one situation, it's, yeah. you know, so I said, Tom. Look, look, look at the hand, look at the hand. You know, help me, help me. <laughs> So he puts his feet up on the on the desk, and he's got these cowboy boots on. He's got holes in his cowboy boots, right? And he pull, there's there's a rose in a in a vase, and he takes the rose out of the out of the um, the vase, and he just sort of holds it up, right? And he's and he's got these cowboy boots with all the so I just I just like click click click, and he started to laugh and. You know, and we we had a little chat, and then the you know guy came in, and it was like he said, "You done?" I said, "Yeah, I guess so." <laughs> it was like, "Whoa, okay." Where did so, where and then go? from that tour, when I sent the pictures to the management, because management gave me a card, I always asked for a management card, and I would send pictures out all the time. I, I must have spent thousands of dollars sending pictures to, to management. And um, so I get this call, uh, and it's Tom Petty's management. And I'm saying, wow, we just got your, we just got your envelope, really nice presentation. And, um, yeah, these, these, these look really, really good. And we'll let you know because Tom has to approve them. So I said, okay, that's great. <laughs> that's fabulous. So, all right. And I'm like, ah. Um, so then a couple of weeks later, I get another call and they say, look, you know, uh, Tom really loves the pictures and we want to use one of them. Tom is going to be on the cover of Time magazine and we want to use one of your pictures. Whoa. Wow. I just, I mean, holy cow. Wow. This is like, phew. Yeah, dream come true. So, stuff. so I mean, you know, they actually paid me for the photographs too. Um, so, uh, so I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then I get a call back, and apparently, uh, Tom Petty's record company didn't want to pay his touring costs. So Tom had to, it was a financial thing. So Tom had to declare bankruptcy. And Time Magazine decided that anybody, they couldn't put anybody on the cover that had just declared bankruptcy, oh. no matter how popular they were. Um, so what I received out of that was a really nice red satin jacket. I, I, I should have thrown it over the back of my chair, right? A red uh, satin jacket, turn jacket, with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers right on the back. You know, that's probably one of your first big moments. Yeah. Well, when Cliff Richards, when his uh, when his <clears throat> tour was canceled at the Coliseum or something, he had he held two concerts at the uh, the Italian Cultural Center. This is years and years ago. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he had two sold out shows at the at the Cultural Center. So I went and I shot the first one, and then. The first show was on like the Friday night, and then the second show was like a Sunday night. And I think he actually did two shows on Sunday. Anyway, so I went into the dark room right away because he is just amazing, Cliff Richards, right? He's just amazing. And uh, 
I'm wondering how many people will know who he is. Um, well, so uh, well, so he, I, I draw. He's, he's, part, he's part of rock royalty, and he did have yeah. a huge resurgence in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, he uh, so I dropped the I dropped the photographs off at the hotel for his management, right? So my girlfriend, she's sitting there. She's sitting at breakfast on Sunday morning, and uh, the phone rings, and she picks up the phone, and she this Englishman said, uh, "Yes, hello. Is uh, is is D living well there?" And she said, "Well, I'm uh, not right at the moment." And I take a message, and and. Uh, he said, yes, this is Cliff Richards calling. And she goes, oh, yeah, get out. It is not. Come on. I'm not going to fall for your jokes, right? And he goes, no, no, really. Really, it is. And <laughs> it was just like she said she just about fainted. Anyway. Wow. Anyway, yeah, so, so, um, yeah, so he bought pictures. Uh, my very famous Jeff Beck picture of him standing in the doorway with the cop on the other side, I – Somebody told me, a roadie told me that Jeff has it in his home in England. Yeah. Well, it's I, in his hallway or something. In my mind's eye, I was at that show. I believe you. that was in Regina. No, that You're was sure? in Vancouver. That was it in was? Vancouver. Because yeah. in my mind's eye, because I, I remember he was on tour with Jan Hammer on keyboards. Yep, yep. And I swear to God, you. we went to see him. It was either in Saskatoon or Regina in some arena. And I swear to God you were there. And that picture was taken backstage there. I swear to God it was. But no, I could be way taken, off base. Taken at the Agrodome of the Cow Palace, right? Wow. Yeah. See, that's that. my memory is you were there. Because I'm, I'm sure I, I'd seen you there. It was just before we moved to Vancouver. Actually, we might have already moved to Vancouver. Actually. Regina, Regina. No, I don't think so. Yeah, well, interesting. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting you talk about Cliff Richards calling you because there's a really famous story. Do you remember uh, Amanda Marshall, the great uh, oh, yeah. singer? She had, she had a, a quite a career. <laughs> she had, she quite had a career. this thing. She had this thing, Amanda Marshall. And she just, and every song, and she would do that. She would do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The whole whole time, the whole time she, and it was just a sudden like Joe Cocker, right? Joe Cocker. When I first saw Joe Cocker, I thought he was a spaz. Oh gosh. I know it was, it was, he, well, everybody, everybody did. And I think that made him more popular. That probably boosted his popularity more than his voice. Yeah. But but the story about Amanda Marshall, she was playing her album had just come out. Now Elton John had, and he still does this to this day. Every week he will go to a record store and buy up everything new and listen to it at least once. And he does it. He, he religiously has done that. He's always on top of what's going on musically. It's just an Elton, it's an Elton John trade. So there's Amanda Marshall playing at Wild Bill's Saloon in Banff, Alberta with her band. Uh-huh. <laughs> her album had come out. She's just starting the tour of the album. And she, it's soundcheck. And she's in the Wild Bill's. And there's a phone call. And the bar takes the call. He said, hello? Yes, is Amanda there, please? <laughs> she goes to the phone, says, well, the story, she actually hung up on him three times. She, she thought it was a prank call. It was actually Elton John. He finally wow. over, and she, he actually, they both told that story on the old, um, on, on the old uh, show with, um, oh gosh, what's her name? Um, the talk show, The Queen of Nice. What, what was her name? 
Rosie O'Donnell, thank you. Yeah. They were both on the Rosie O'Donnell show, and they both told their side of that story. And it's, it's a very true story. Elton John did call Wild Bill's saloon in in Banff to tell Amanda Marshall how great her album was, and this is the song she, she released next as her single. And she hung up on him three times, and it wasn't until the fourth call when she actually <laughs> took the call and went, oh, my God, it really is him. But that's, that's the kind of guy he is. He's, he, I mean, Elton John's got his thing about him sometimes where he can be a bit uppity, but he's also an incredibly supportive person with people. Like, if you've, if you've got talent, he's there for you. Well, I was a little bit upset with Elton John when they did that, the, the movie, and, and uh, they didn't credit Long John Baldry with where he got his John, the John of his name, and yeah. they, they credit it to John Lennon instead of Long John Baldry. Yeah, I agree. And I, agree. I know that there was a lot of people, including Rod Stewart, that were really up at arms about that. Yeah, that was, I, I saw that. Oh, shame I, I, on Elton. Yeah, first of all, I didn't like the movie. Second of all, I, I thought that was a total, uh, yeah, because, I mean, I, I knew Long John as well, and he was a, he was a wonderful guy. I actually played for his birthday party one time, and it was it was wonderful. I went back to his place. Of course, you, you've probably been to his place too, but I, I, you might even have taken a shot. I don't know. As soon as you walked into his home, there was this wonderful shot of him, him and Rod Stewart with their arms around each other. Yeah, I didn't take the shot, no. Oh. That was taken by Britt Eklund. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Imagine, imagine that. Yeah. This, this movie, yeah. yeah, well, she, everybody thought you're in my heart, you're in my soul was written about her, and it wasn't. It was about his soccer team. <laughs> everybody, everybody thought it was, it was about her. There's only one line about her, a big bosom lady with a Dutch accent who tried to change my point of view. That's the only line that's about her in the whole song. The rest of it's all about his football team. <laughs> but anyway, um, there's a um, – I remember – I want to go back to your – your career in Vancouver a bit with, with um, now I remember the only name that sort of comes to mind. Um, there was like, there was other photographers in the business, but there was, you know, there was, uh, the, Oh God. And I had his name. I was thinking about it before I see, I should have written it down. That's why I have my pen, but uh, he, he did all the, all the rock albums, including cuts like a knife, all that stuff. He did the artwork for Jim O'Mara, James O'Mara. James O'Mara, thank you. I had it on my on the tip of my tongue. Now, did you ever work in conjunction with James or did he always do his own photography? He always did his own photography. And no, I never I never I never worked with him. We were sort of not well we're not in competition because he he had that all locked down, right? Yeah, well, he was all a studio he was a yeah. studio guy, and you were the live girl. Yeah, essentially, yeah. you know. You, yeah, exactly. They yeah. get a reputation for doing live stuff, and people don't believe that you can do studio stuff, right? Yeah. So, well, I was just wondering if had had he maybe done an album cover where he needed some live shots to supplement the. Uh, no, no, he always did his own. He always did. I walked, in, I walked into James O'Meara's studio one day and, um, you know, and uh, I guess I was working with Trooper or whatever. And um, he had, uh, what would you call them? Architects, trays, really skinny like this, right? And, and he had a whole uh, cabinet. So there's maybe 24 of these of these drawers, these really skinny drawers that you could pull out, and then he had captions on everyone. Uh, um, 
uh, scenes from a mountain, you know, like all different things, kids, children, uh, all different categories. And what he did was from the European magazines, he would get all the European magazines and everybody knew that Europe was so far ahead, you know, like fashion wise and, uh, and music wise and architectural wise and whatever. Yeah. So he would get all those and he would cut out the pictures of the magazine and he had drawers that would show him samples of whatever, you know, that he would require, which I thought was pretty smart. Right. Yeah, well, it's, it's, not, it's not, it's not, it's not, copying but it's actually copying somebody else's idea well yeah emulation i mean and you know it's the biggest form of flattery as well it, not to mention the fact why why blaze a brand new trail when that trail has already proven itself and you can go hmm if i just yeah. put my put my own spin on this this is I yeah he this did he did some he did some wonderful layouts for the leather metal leather uh with the guy who was the helicopter hovering and the grass growing and the guy in the leather in the leather jacket right uh, like jumping out like sort of a James Bond kind of thing. Right. You know, he got a lot of really great ideas, but, you know, he did, he did all the covers. Uh, the only cover that I did, did was for Doug and the Slugs. Well, not the only cover, but was for Doug and the Slugs. And Doug had this idea. I had a studio at Second and Burrard, and we had a huge cold wall and um, uh, all the lighting, etc. So Doug had this idea of the front of the cover would be all the guys walking towards the camera and the back of the cover would be the the back shot right of them of them walking away and so we had to drape the whole studio in white sheets the whole thing there had to be a camera behind them and then the camera in front of them and they had to go off simultaneously Right. Oh, so so it was ex exactly the same shot. Exactly it the same shot. Oh wow. And back, wow! Right. So and it was a great idea. <laughs> Wally got so drunk he couldn't walk. Because <laughs> 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 you know we had a few you know bubbly pops, right? Uh, so we had to like, actually it took two days to do the shoot, right? Um, the second day, no no drinking allowed. Um, but. Um, for some unknown reason, uh, I don't know whether it was the record company or, or who it was, um, didn't, didn't like the idea. And so what happened was Doug took the individual shots that I had taken of all the guys and he sort of cut them out and made them different colors and different triangles and squares. And that turned out to be the cover. So, and it was really disappointing because his first concept was brilliant. So that's one of the only, um, aside from the Jeff Beck picture in the book, that's one of the only uh, photographs in the book where I actually show a studio shot with Doug and the Slugs, right? Because, you know, I had to. It's so bad. It's so sad because Doug Bennett was certainly a rock and roll casualty, you know? Oh, the, the man had yeah. so much talent and so much potential to go on with that talent. And, uh, you know, I remember we did a gig in Regina with Randy, with Randy Backman, and Doug and the Slugs backed us up. And it was a new Slugs band because the original Slugs wouldn't play with them anymore um, because, you know, he'd, he'd just become so belligerent and, and essentially not, not easy to work with. And I, well, I, I pull into the arena. It's the middle of the afternoon. I pull in there about 2 o'clock, I guess. 
to get ready for because usually the headliner sound checks first, and then the and then this you know this, the the backup band sound checks last uh, because they're on first. And I walk in, and Doug is sitting in this panel van or probably a window van with a bottle of Jack Daniels, guzzling it at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm going, holy smokes! And I'm going, it was really sad that night. As we're in the back dressing room, it's a hockey arena, so you know you can hear everything going on, echoing around. And there's Doug Bennett talking to the audience in Regina about how awful it is to be playing in Regina, how he thought he'd never have to go through this bullshit again, how Regina was just the worst shot of town oh, earth, blah, 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 blah. And Randy is looking at us, going, What is this guy doing? Like, right? So it went on and on and on. And uh, so they were essentially, I mean, they made it through the set. But he was, you could tell he was just getting progressively harder to understand. And we went on. All Randy had to do was say, hey, it's great to be in Regina, the place where I wrote these eyes. Ah! You know, and right away we had him eating out of our hands because he had just insulted that audience for the full 90-minute set. Wow. Hour set, pardon me. Wow. Unbelievable. But, you know, and, and, and of course, it wasn't long after that I heard he'd passed away and he was staying at the Well, he drank himself to death. Mm-hmm. You know, he had health issues, and and instead of instead of not drinking, he just he drank himself to death. Yeah, well, he was, I think yeah. most most of the people, like everybody in the everybody, they were just so angry with him, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's such a waste, yeah. such a waste. But yeah, and he, had, I guess, he was living at the El Dorado Hotel there on Kingsway in in Burnaby, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah, sad. Yeah. Anyway, I, so tell me some of the backstories of being in the pit with a rock photography, in the rock photography business, there's no doubt. Um, I think Charles even brought it up at one point where you've been kicked and bruised and everything else having to deal with fans. I mean, it must be a hell out there sometimes trying to get pictures. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I remember doing a picture, uh, doing a concert with uh, Sinead O'Connor in the round. And not in the round, in the end of the of the Coliseum, and um, it was in the middle of winter, and it was raining and snowing, and um, you walked into this arena, and of course it was it was heated, and it smelled like wet socks everywhere. It was like the grossest smell. It was like the whole right, and so there was no there was no uh, pit area. There was just a, maybe 10 to 12 feet of, of chairs right in the first row started. And there was a couple of other photographers, but I was at one end and she came on and the whole crowd got up off, off their chairs and just moved in mass. And I was carried in mass right up to the right, right up to the stage. I was like right there at the stage. And my husband thought that I was being crushed, right? He was like, he was, he feared for my life, right? And um, I just grabbed, uh, never mind three songs, never mind anything. I grabbed what I could, and like one song, and then it was trying to get out of there. Um, I wasn't hurt or anything, but, you know, the smell was so overwhelming of all these wet woolies, <laughs> uh, when I shot the Rolling Stones in Buffalo, um, I had to, 
okay, the buffalo story is the whole story. It's like Go ahead, we got time. Buffalo the buffalo, right? Um I can't even remember what year it was. It was like, uh, so the Rolling Stones are playing in Buffalo. So uh, Music Express, you know, I beg, Keith, Clooney, please, please. Right. So I fly out to Toronto and then uh, uh, Carrie Duell is the writer and myself and my girlfriend and one of Carrie's friends. We shuffle off to Buffalo, right? Uh, we've got our passes and everything. So in the meantime, there's this massive storm and the stage has actually moved six inches right we get up to the back or well, we don't know at this time uh, excuse me excuse me excuse me it was moved six inches why from the wind oh my god wow yeah wow. there was a storm and the and the state and the, the, the it had moved like six inches right so what we didn't know until we were at the gate waiting to get in at the press thing we had all our credentials everything was fine and everything had been canceled all the press credentials had been canceled. We'd all been given seats. Um, uh, no photos, no pit, no nothing. Right? So it was like, no cameras. So we go back to the car, right? So I undo my, the, my lens. <laughs> I take my camera gear out. I put my camera down my down my front of my shirt. Uh, I put a lens. I put a lens in the back. feel like I'm toting a gun, right? Um, and... Uh, I've got another lens down this sleeve, and uh, <laughs> that's about it. So we go in. They don't even check. I mean, they don't even frisk you. Right. So George. So we go to our seats, and George third, and the storm is raging. Right. And they're, the 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 um, the Rolling Stones team is up on scaffolding, and they're cutting down the scrims. They're actually cutting them down because they're acting as a sail. Right. These, 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 wow. uh, these big, huge banners at the top and, and at the sides, they're acting like a sail. And that's what the stage is actually moving. Now, I don't know if it moves six inches. You know, everybody exaggerates, but it was, <laughs> enough, it was enough for them to cancel all the, you know, all the media. Right. right. So uh, George Thurgood comes out on stage and he's wearing this yellow, yellow slicker and and it's 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 pouring with rain, right? And he's playing an electric guitar. It's like I'm going, oh my god, he's going to electrocute himself. Mm. Well, he um, he's about halfway through his set, and he stops playing, and he says, "Okay, there's what forty thousand people here, fifty thousand people. If we all collectively think, we can actually stop the rain. We can do it." We can, all of us, right? Well, it was just like about a minute and a half later, because he said, I'm not playing again until the sun comes up. The sun was shining down, right? Right onto the stage. It was, just like, it was like, oh, boy. Right? And you can see the steam rising from the crowd because everybody's all wet. And all like this. So I managed, he goes off, I managed during the break to make my way down to the front of the stage with all my, my equipment. So as I'm going there, I'm putting it all together. And um, of course the stage is about 12 feet high. I mean, literally. And then the, the, what was to be the photo pit has, has wood around the front from the fans 
And that's about six, seven feet high, right? So I can't get, I can't get next to the board because I can't see anything, right? Because it, it's all I see is board. So I have to situate myself back and so that I can actually see the stage to take the photographs. Well, every time, well, the stones come out, right? The girls in front of me, they're just like, Mick comes to this side of the stage and they're like, oh, <laughs> he goes to the other side of the stage to put their arms down, right? And I can't see that far. So and this happens several times. So, and it's like, I cannot get a shot because there's somebody in my way all the time and I can't back up because everybody's pressing against me and I feel this light tap on my shoulder. And I look around and I'm literally staring into a Hell's Angels belt buckle. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. And the guy looks down at me and he, this is a big guy. And he said, looks like you need help. You want to get up on my shoulders. And I went, uh, and I had and I had a flash of when I was at a Paul McCartney concert out in the in Seattle, and I was on somebody's shoulders, and he wouldn't let me down. So I was a little bit leery, you know. So he said, "No, don't don't worry," because I'm like, uh. he said, "My buddies they'll protect us." So and I sort of I try to look around him, and there's like three or four other Hell's Angels type of of individuals standing there going, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> so they help me. I climb up on this guy's shoulder, and it's just like Mick comes running across. It's like click, 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 and I can feel them being, you know, because they're they're holding this guy, so he is perfectly steady. And I went, fine, that's great. And he goes, you sure you got enough? And I said, I'm positive. Um, and it was I was only up on his shoulders for maybe three minutes right wow. and he let me down but then i had to find my way through that massive crowd back to my seat <laughs> and uh that's when um, you know a couple of bruised whatever i was you know i wasn't broken but uh, you know i was jostled and pushed and hit and you know get out of my way kind of thing so um but um Wow. Yeah. Well, Charles says that happened to you in 1981. So that's when you and I, well, all of us in that trauma gang with Diane Tanchak, of course, and Tommy Stewart, we were all hanging out at that time. We were all besties because we used to yeah. see each other almost every week back in those days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, uh, I was going to say, um, do you remember doing our, our trauma promo shots? I, if okay, once again, my brain might be failing me, but I swear to God, we did them. We did them at Sandy Flett's T-shirt shop in New Westminster. And the reason I say that is okay. because there's Which a there's a, the there's a picture of us. There's, there was three of them we took that day. There was three different sets of shots that we used. One of them, I remember p holding up these silk screens, and I said, "Hey, can we use these?" And you went, "Yeah." Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, the and, frames. Yeah, and, and, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a really clever little shot the way that turned out. It was just because one of those things. I, and but Diane, <laughs> Diane, says, "We take a picture like that for you. You're not called the frames. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to be called the frames. It's a cool shot. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a cool shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, because I, I, I remember was that a Sandy Flett shot in New Westminster? I, no, Sandy Flett. For everybody back then, he was probably the premier T-shirt guy. Uh, yeah, for all the rock tours that came out of the Vancouver, uh, like yeah. Bruce Allen's office and Sam Feldman's office. Yeah, and Perry Scope and, you know, yeah, all yeah. Those, yeah. yeah. 
with Craig and all that. Craig's yeah. got a great Facebook site. It's fantastic. Yes, I've been on it. Oh, everybody's on it. Everybody's on it. It's a fantastic site. If you ever, what's it called? Uh, Vancouver Rock from the 60s it's, to the 80s or something. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's fantastic. The, 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 the chats that go on in there are just amazing. I've learned so much about Vancouver because I didn't move to Vancouver until 78. So I kept, I've gotten to hear a lot of history uh, leading up to that point. And of course, I've kind of been privy to most of it since then. So, Hey, thanks for joining us. Check out our many other podcasts featuring vignettes and full episodes from a growing list of recording artists and other music insiders. And please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so we can bring you more great content from this and many other shows we're now producing. Available both on podcast and video on demand.